0: To the plugged in podcast presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. Today is August 3rd, 2021. I'm your host Alex Stevens, I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. And joining me today to discuss the Infrastructure Bill is IER's Director of Policy, Kenny Stein. Kenny, welcome back to the show. Yep. Good to be here. So before we talk about what exactly is in the bill, um it's been probably five or six months now where we've been discussing infrastructure. Can you talk a little bit about why there's such a big push for such a big infrastructure bill right now?
1: Well, if you think about it, it's not even just the last six months. This even goes back to the Trump administration. There, The Trump administration had infrastructure week for about two years. Everybody likes to talk about infrastructure. And I think the real key is that it's something that uh, you know, voters like the sound of uh, it's something that both parties like to support. I mean, who doesn't support you know fixing the roads? Uh, every, you know, everybody has a, a pothole that they complain about and they want it fixed. Um, so it's an easy thing to talk about, um, and it's something you can talk about being bipartisan about. And that's for the last six months specifically. Um, that's a big part of why the Biden administration is pushing this: is that they ran a campaign saying that they were going to be bipartisan. Um, then, of course, the first legislation out the gate was there. Um, they called it a coronavirus relief bill, but it was really about spending, handing out money to um, Democratic Party supporters, essentially. And it was done entirely on party lines. And it was just it was a hugely wasteful bill. And it's probably partially what's fueling uh, the inflation that we've seen in the last uh, six months. So now this is the Biden administration really wants some uh, Bipartisan cover to sort of pretend that they're they're not being a left wing administration that they're actually working with the Republicans, and there is a faction of the Republican Party that um, loves spending money, um, and they you know they like spending money on roads and bridges. There's always pressure every every year uh, every t- every time there's the the highway bill comes up for reauthorization. There's a huge pressure from the entrenched construction lobby um, that course, they want as many billions out of the federal government as they can get because that's their future revenue streams. Uh, so there's it. This happens, you know, Every this is it's, the last uh, highway bill was uh, six years ago now. Uh, but every time the highway bill comes up for reauthorization, uh, everybody gets together to spend a lot of money and it's sort of everybody kind of one ups each other to see how much they can spend.
0: Yeah. So like you said, there's something in there for everyone. Uh, why don't we go through Uh, sort of the top level numbers here. Uh, There's $110 billion for roads, $73 billion for energy transmission, $66 billion for Amtrak, $39 billion for public transit, $7.5 billion for EV infrastructure. Those are sort of the main uh, items, I think, for our listeners that they're interested in. Uh, Your initial reactions on those numbers.
1: Part of the justification that people tout for spending these types of numbers is this claim that American infrastructure is crumbling. Uh, the thing is, the, America's, the United States infrastructure is not crumbling. We have some of the best infrastructure in the world. If you, The problem is you look at some of these rankings, and it's all based on who makes the rankings. So the American Society of Civil Engineers scores American infrastructure very poorly. They would, but of yeah. course, the American Society of Civil Engineers is all employed building things. So of course, they're going to say, yes, we need to spend more money to you know, make our infrastructure more robust. And then you also look at some of these comparisons, and they say, oh, well, these European countries score so much better. Well, that's because in a lot of these scoring processes, passenger rail is a huge component of the score. And yes, in a dense country like the Netherlands or the United Kingdom, all right, passenger rail makes sense. In the United States, where we're incredibly spread out, passenger rail doesn't make any sense. It's not competitive with planes. So again, the, the underlying premise here is a bit false. But everyone, everyone has this mentality that American infrastructure is crumbling. Therefore, we must spend a bunch of money. So on all, those, on all those numbers, I'd say they're too high, first of all, even on the highway stuff, which I, I can see uh, an argument for federal government intervention there. But the thing is, our interstate system is pretty well built out. We're not, there's not a lot of new highways that need to be built in the United States. It's really maintaining... Uh, the existing road system that we have, and that's an ongoing process. That the federal government doesn't pay for most of that. Honestly, the ongoing maintenance is mostly done by uh, state and local governments. So the the argument for even more even road spending is is a little tenuous at this point. Certainly, when you but you talk about splashing out money on Amtrak on passenger rail again, passenger rail does not make sense in the United States. It's not practical. Uh, there's uh, the tens of billions of dollars for mass transit too, but We've seen in the last two years because of the pandemic mass transit use has collapsed. People aren't using mass transit,
0: now. yeah, I'm sure it's down sixty percent yeah,
1: so but we're talking about like shoveling tens of billions of dollars more to these things that people aren't using, and frankly, because of concerns about the coronavirus, it's not clear that their usage is ever really going to come back the way it was. People want to drive now because of concerns about airborne viruses. So we're spending even more money on something that people aren't using. Um, then the, the, big, the big one that is just ridiculous that's in here is for the, the tens of billions of dollars for electric transmission. So this is for long distance transmission. So the really outrageous stuff that's in uh, part of this that, I've, that I, is the tens of billions of dollars for electricity transmission, long distance transmission. Because here's the thing, uh, we have a pretty robust electricity grid uh, that we have now that is built for reliable generators, for coal plants, nuclear plants, natural gas plants. These things are all built near population centers, near the people that actually need to use electricity. The grid is built to supply that electricity to the local areas. Um, the grid is not built for renewables, for wind and solar. Wind and solar have to be built out in the middle of nowhere because you can't, you can't build a solar farm in, on, in Manhattan. Um, so they have to be built out out in the middle of nowhere and then you need long distance transmission to get that electricity from the middle of nowhere from north dakota to get the wind power from north dakota to chicago and that's what this is subsidizing and that is not something that helps the grid as a whole that's about subsidizing uh the build out of wind and solar so that's i think that's important people think about oh well you know this makes you know Making our grid more robust. That's not really what this money is about. This money is about making it easier for wind and solar uh, to build out, and it's it's about when the thing is when wind and solar are built out in the middle of nowhere, they don't they don't bear the cost of that long distance transmission. So this is this is actually a problem with that when you start talking about how wind and solar are supposedly so cheap, um, when you're calculating those numbers, they don't include this cost of getting actually getting the electricity to the people that need to use it, and that's very expensive. Uh, because you've got you've got to take people's land along the way. There's a lot of litigation that goes into that. Uh, it's a lot to build, um, so it's expensive. And what this, uh, the money in this bill is about, uh, paying for that, make so that so that the wind and solar operators don't have to because they can't. So this is uh, that that again that that is why I find this so outrageous. Is that that's truly that's not about making the grid more robust. It's not about uh, defending against cyber attacks or or. You know, Russian or Chinese hacking, it's about subsidizing wind
0: and solar. This is probably a pretty similar comparison that you can make to the EV in- infrastructure spending there then, too, where you have an example of the market producing the infrastructure for gasoline vehicles privately. In order to get this new technology off the ground, we're being asked to subsidize uh, the new infrastructure to a tune of uh, $7.5 billion in this bill. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the similarities there and just your thoughts on the spending on EVs.
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely it's that's a direct uh, similarity. And the, what's funny is that that 7.5 billion that's that's a big number, but it's far less than what the electric vehicle advocates say is necessary. They would uh, even the Biden administration was, I think their proposal was like 170 billion dollars or something for electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So, that's what that's actually what that's one of the there are there are a number of reasons that people are hesitant about electric vehicles, but a big one is not having that charging infrastructure built out um, and what's ironic of course is that there are private companies people on Tesla but also other private companies that are building electric vehicle infrastructure now like there's there's a private incentive to build it and people are building that charging infrastructure so it's not it's actually not entirely clear that the federal government needs to subsidize this at all but uh, as you said like the federal government did not subsidize the build-out of gas stations so why is it subsidizing the build-out of electric vehicle charging that the, the there they're, they're, the argu- the reasoning there has not been spelled out it's basically just assumed oh yeah well the federal government should subsidize it but no one's no one actually explains why
0: the likelihood of the bipartisan bill passing this week before the august recess what are your thoughts uh, there and how do you see this playing out this week
1: well uh the senator schumer uh, the the uh, senate majority leader has Stated unequivocally that he's not going to allow the Senate to go on August recess until they pass the infrastructure bill. So, if if he sticks to that, you know, if he keeps the Senate in session, um, you know, they they'll drag it out as long as they have to. Um, there are some senators that, because this was a two thousand seven hundred page bill that was that was only finished uh, late Sunday night, there are some senators that. Uh, want some time to actually read this and figure out what's in it and would like to prefer to vote uh, come September. Um, so that's still a tension there. They're currently voting on amendments. Uh, we'll see if Senator Schumer is able to uh, force that timetable. The key is, is that in order to uh, to bring the, the infrastructure bill to conclusions, he needs uh, 10 Republicans uh, to vote with him to end cloture. Um, so that's, that's the question. Are there 10 Republicans that uh, want to leave town enough to uh, you know, jammed through this bill. Uh, the like it's fairly likely, but at the same time, it's not certain.
0: And then, in in addition to this bill, the Democrats are expected to push a, another spending bill through reconciliation that includes a lot of items that we're concerned about. Uh, an eighty percent clean energy standard by I think it was twenty thirty is the rumor out there. Uh, Civilian Climate Corps more spending for evs for electric buses on um, a carbon border tax um can you talk about the reconciliation process that's ahead of us exactly like how does reconciliation work i guess first and then um how you see that process playing out and what we're paying attention to um, right
1: there so uh, yeah as you said the the reconciliation package. We don't really know what's in it. The Democrats are still negotiating amongst themselves to figure out what's going to be in it. Um, but the headline number that they have advertised is 3.5 trillion dollars, and that is that is on top of uh, our existing budget baseline. So this is a huge this is a huge sum. More, uh, so we're talking a lot of money. But the the reason uh, we're talking about a reconciliation bill is that uh, reconciliation is a uh, a special. Uh, legislative process for budget bills that allow uh, the Senate to pass uh, a budget with just a simple majority. Um, so in this case when you have a 50/50 Senate between Democrats and Republicans it'll uh, the reconciliation process allows Democrats to pass a bill uh, with just Democratic votes. This is how the the, the bill the 1.9 trillion dollar uh, bill that was passed in uh, Mar- March I guess that was that they call the coronavirus relief bill, uh, that was passed just on party lines and is passed through the reconciliation process. The thing about the reconciliation process, though, because it is a special expedited process, there's a limit to what can be included in it. It has to be things with a budgetary impact because this is being done through the budget process. So that limits, you know, uh, what can be in it. Uh, the Democrats think are, are claiming that they're going to try and jam things like immigration reform into that. That's precisely the type of thing that... Uh, shouldn't be in there and probably will not be in there. Uh, it's the same thing in the coronavirus, what they call the coronavirus relief bill in March. They tried to include a $15 minimum wage and that was kicked out because that's clearly not, a, that's a policy issue, not a budget issue. So this is the that's part of what uh, the limitation on what's going to be in it. And it's part of why we don't know exactly what's going to be in it because they have to try and game the process to force in some of this stuff. So if you're talking about just tax credits for, you know, wind and solar, that can probably be in there because it's just a budget thing. But when we're talking about like the the clean energy mandate, what we're talking about, that's much harder to do through the reconciliation process, because that is clearly a policy issue. Uh, The way they want to game it is basically to say that um, they are going to offer subsidies to utilities that generate more uh, with more renewables, and they're going to fine utilities that don't you know, accelerate their renewables and and through that process they claim it's you know it's a budget, it's a spending thing, not a policy thing. Um, it's not clear that that is going to pass muster uh, but that's that's what they want to try and do and the reason they're the reason they're doing it this unwieldy way is it's because they want to game the process because they know there are not uh, Republican votes for this blowout spending bill uh, that they want to do. Again, uh it's not clear what all is actually going to make it in there because uh right now at least the Democrats don't even have 50 Democrat votes for the proposal. There's several, uh more than several. There's five to ten moderate Democrats that are concerned, they're starting to get concerned about inflation because every month we see these inflation numbers. Um so if we're already facing inflation, we're talking about jam- like injecting another $3.5 trillion into the economy as when things are already overheating. Um there's also some, some of these senators are concerned about things like the, uh, clean, the clean energy mandates, because that, that is going to raise the price of electricity. Um, they're concerned about the carbon border tax. I mean, that's raising the price of everything, but because you're, anything imported from pretty much any country will cost more based on this carbon board, you know, anything that comes from China is gonna cost more. Anything that comes from Mexico is gonna cost more. Um, That's again, when we're worried about inflation, that's just a pure inflationary impact. So uh, again, the the reconciliation process is, the the package is still very much uh, up in the air. It's exact contents are up in the air. But again, uh, Majority Leader Schumer has has laid down a marker that he wants that to be passed before he lets the Senate go on recess. Um, We'll we'll see if that actually happens. I'm I'm the infrastructure bill may very well pass. I'm very skeptical that the budget budget reconciliation bill passes at least uh, before the August recess.
0: We'll certainly be paying attention to these things over the next couple weeks here at IER. To read more news and analysis on the infrastructure bill, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. My guest today has been IER's director of policy, Kenny Stein. Kenny, thanks for joining me.